are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome to another Thursday edition of Locked On NBA. I am Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked On Rockets. He is Tony East, host of Locked On Pacers, and we are here to break down a night of NBA action, a day of swirling NBA news, some big stories, some not so big stories, a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about here. Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Uh, really enjoying the playoffs this year. Even in the, in the blowout games, you like one random player that you know, is it normally that an NBA rotation has a nice game or some guy that doesn't play much, does something interesting. So it's been a very fun playoffs and this Nuggets Suns game was no exception. So I keep smiling the more I watch the NBA playoffs this year. And even though it was a blowout, we've got a lot to talk about from this game, the implications for the rest of the series. But first, just got to let you know, today's episode is brought to you by Stat Hero, the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage. Go to stathero.com slash locked on for 300% back on your very first play. Now, Tony, getting into this Nuggets-Suns game, first off, we've got the reigning MVP of the association, Nikola Jokic, who is severely, is this like another, is this a David versus Goliath scenario where the Suns are actually fully healthy and he, you know, Jokic just doesn't have his running mate with him. MPJ doesn't look like himself. I mean, you really feel for the guy. He just put on such a tremendous performance this NBA season. And now he's going up against the buzzsaw that is the Phoenix Suns and just doesn't feel like he has enough support around him. Yeah, the way he's being defended in pick and roll is kind of funny. Like, funny is the wrong word, but you watch the, the Nuggets. They they try to get make Jokic screen so he can roll and, and have some two-on-two action, and all of a sudden there's like six suns. Somehow there's six, like just all around him. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Then they started trying to have guys screen for Jokic so he could kind of operate as the ball handler and set up some passes, but no one was making anything. I was trying to track notes during this game and the Nuggets just missed everything in the first half. Normally I put in like a specific set number. I just put Nuggets missed everything first half. So he couldn't, he couldn't get it done distributing when everybody's missing and he can't really get it done in the way he still finished with 24 points. He still had a wonderful game, but you can't get it done in the ways he normally does with the way the Suns are defending him. So this David versus Goliath situation is very tough when the Suns are playing like this. I mean, they just look awesome right now. Now I think there's a definite silver lining for the Denver Nuggets who I'm not, you know, Tony, I'm not ready to completely count them out of the series quite just yet. Uh, I think when you have a player as talented as Nikola Jokic, you do have a fighting chance, even though the Suns do look like a really, really just well put together squad at this point. Chris Paul playing absolutely out of his mind in this one had 15 assists to check it, zero turnovers. And apparently, per the broadcast, he's the last, he's the first player to do this since, get you guessed it, Chris Paul, the last player to do 15 assists, zero turnovers in a playoff game, which is just absurd to think about. But you look at the Nuggets, and I guess a silver lining for them, right, would be the play of Will Barton. Uh, you know, coming back from the hamstring injury, hasn't played since late April. Uh, 10 points, four of uh, four of eight shooting, two of five from behind the three-point line. Uh, definitely had his imprint felt in that really early on in that first quarter. And it kind of felt like maybe, okay, he's back in the lineup. Maybe he's going to be this, this missing piece that the Nuggets need to overcome the absence of Jamal Murray. And unfortunately, that wasn't exactly what happened. But Nuggets fans have to be at least impressed with his production, right? Yeah, someone else can count out the Nuggets. It's not going to be me. You know, we've already seen the Clippers come back from 2-0 this season. We saw the Nuggets come back from down 3-1 twice last year in the bubble. Like, don't count out the Denver Nuggets in any series ever, especially with, as you just mentioned, 
the return of Will Barton. He played 16 minutes. He was on a bit of a minutes restriction because he hasn't played in, in a month and a half, basically. But in those 16 minutes, the Nuggets, who ended up losing this game by basically 30 points, they were down upwards of 30 in the fourth quarter. They were only at a minus two with Barton in the game, right? So they did very well in those minutes, even though the Suns were playing very well. Barton gives them another downhill threat. He shot well from DP at two of five. He was one of only two players on the Nuggets team to hit better or equal or better than 40% from deep in this game. So just having another guard threat is huge for this Nuggets team. They don't have to play Marcus Howard as much as they have in past games. He got some garbage time minutes, but they can really shrink the rotation to just Rivers, Compazzo, and Barton, which helps them a ton. So while you'd still got to pick the Suns as favorites, they're in the driver's seat up 2-0. There's a million reasons to not count out the Suns, and Will Barton's return is one of them. And I think the Nuggets were very much in this game, you know, up until there was that point in the third quarter where – the sun started to falter just a little bit. It kind of felt like the Nuggets were making a bit of a push. And true to what he brings to the table, Chris Paul checks back into the game and brings that calming, steadying influence to everybody else on the floor. And he immediately checks in and the Suns go on an absolute tear and, you know, increase the lead. The lead just balloons. And it basically became game over at the top of the fourth quarter. We saw him just toying with the Denver Nuggets had that one play against Paul Millsap, where he had the ball on an absolute string, just, you know, weaving it left, right, left, right, you know, had Paul Millsap on skates and then dishes it to Torrey Craig, who, you know, cut into the basket for an easy two at the rim. Um, I don't think that was his 15th assist of the evening, but it was one of his uh, one of his last assists because then not too long after that, he had, what was it, the back-to-back dagger three-pointers to push it to, I think, a 27-point lead uh, not too long after that. So just a, a really dominant performance from the Phoenix Suns. And I, if, I'm, if I'm the Denver Nuggets and I'm looking at this, MPJ is a big concern. Right, you know, we we found out about the back tightness from him. He didn't look right in this game. Didn't hit a didn't hit a three until what was it, the third quarter or something like that. And I, I wonder if he's not right moving forward. That's what would lean kind of force me into into the corner of thinking. Yeah, I think the Nuggets might be done in this series if MPJ isn't isn't healthy moving forward. Yeah, they could survive Portland without Murray because MPJ was hitting threes, including that huge one off the miraculous. Jokic pass in the awesome double overtime game. Yeah, Porter's been excellent for them as a scorer. In this game, only 3 of 13, 2 for 9 from deep. The back problem's popping up in game one. And, you know, you didn't include this part, but, like, he has a history of back injuries, right? So, for him, they're even worse, whereas, like, it could be a, the pain management could be even stronger. They have to be a little bit more careful because if he really aggravates it, it could be bad for him. That's why he even fell so far in the draft. So, they got smoked in his minutes. His defense looks atrocious. No matter who he's guarding, the Suns are hunting that guy. Like they, 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 the Suns have this awesome methodical offense. And they just break their setup every once in a while and just say, "Oh, cool, Michael Porter Jr. is guarding Jay Crowder. We'll just take the points." Like it, it, he does not look effective out there, and they really need him to either be strong enough to hold his own on defense or be hitting some shots because he did, he was not helping the Nuggets win this game, and they need him to be better if they're gonna dig out of this hole. And I, my my last commentary on this one. And this is, I, I don't want to say it's, it's, you know, it's, it is detrimental, unfortunately, for the Denver Nuggets, but watching Chris Paul out there, the way he just surgically operates and finds the weaknesses in opposing defenses, finds the mismatches, the way that he operates in the pick and roll when they get Jokic in the action, just how surgical he is about picking apart 
what the Nuggets are trying to do defensively and how seemingly easy it is for him. You know, he makes the game of basketball so easy to watch because you and you know that it's not like for him, it feels like the game is moving so slowly, like he's just, you know, picking and choosing his spots and it seems so seamless for him. But these players, these are the best athletes in the world and they're moving 90 miles a minute out there. Everything's happening, you know, so lightning quick and yet it looks so fluid, so seamless for Chris Paul. I wonder what the adjustment is, if any, for the Nuggets moving forward, you know, when they have Jokic out there, when they have to defend Chris Paul in the pick and roll. We saw a little drop coverage. We saw some moments where Jokic would kind of stunt on the pick and roll and try and take away uh, Chris Paul getting into the paint, getting to his sweet spot. But we saw moments where Chris Paul just makes the right read each and every time. To we, I think the the cleanest one was uh, DeAndre Ayton got a lob pass from Chris Paul, and it was so clean, so well executed. And shout out to DeAndre Ayton, who's reading and reacting accordingly, depending on how they're they're covering the pick and roll. He's you know receiving passes sometimes in the middle of the floor and making the right read, be it kicking it out to the open shooter or you know going for his own and and, and you know elevating up or you know doing that little soft little baby hook in the paint to get his own. He's been stellar throughout the first two games of this series. Yeah, you talk about Chris Paul being surgical. I remember late in the second quarter, the Nuggets were finally cutting into the lead. They got it under 10. Jokic hit a three, and that possession took Denver forever to generate the three. And then their next trip down, it took them 23 seconds to get a Jokic fadeaway one-footer mid-ranger. And it's like they were working so hard for these points. They're barely keeping up. And then Chris Paul just walks it up, strolls into a 15-footer, fades away, and hits it. It's like He's so precise and perfect and good that, that they just had no answers. I mean, it, that's the point where I knew the Suns were going to win is when Chris Paul was that easily doing exactly what he wanted whenever he wanted, and the Nuggets had to work their butts off to even match just him. So he's been awesome. I agree with you about Aiden in basically every way. He's, like, flipped my perception of him completely in this series, in this playoffs as a player. So to take Paul out of his game, I'm not sure you can do it. I mean, many NBA teams have tried for nearly two decades now, which it seems crazy to say. Uh, so I think you got to recover well to his shooters. You got to be tight to Aiton when he's rolling. You, you just you can't let the other guys beat you if Paul's going to be this good. If he's going to hit six of ten and be diamond up his teammates all over the court and be this good, you you cannot let other guys beat you. They did pretty good slowing down Devin Booker, but that's pretty much it. Every other Suns role player stepped up in a huge way. So got to be better recovering to those shooters, or else the Nuggets are sunk. It's it's really just proven that. Obviously, we kind of knew this going into the series, but the margin for error is just absolutely razor thin for this Nuggets team, yep. unfortunately. And it, it really it makes me think what this series would have looked like, you know, what the last series would have looked like against, you know, Portland, obviously, if they had a healthy Jamal Murray, um, Will Barton now back, but on the minutes restriction, uh, saying post game that, you know, it's... Um, He's risking, you know, by by it's it's risky for him to be out there playing right now, um, you know, coming back this soon. But he's trusting the medical staff to, you know, be on top of what they're telling him. And if he needs to pull back a little bit, he will. But uh, this is definitely still going to be an interesting, fun series moving forward uh, with the MVP in tow, with uh, Booker, with Paul, with Aiton. I mean, it's it's going to be an ecstatic series. You got to be checking out every single game, and you've also got to check out. Locked on Suns and Locked on Nuggets for their breakdowns from this game. But we also got to talk about Stat Hero, don't we? We do. I was going to say, uh, do you want to know a stat? But you led me right in. So I was going to tell you that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports, they lose. Is that really surprising? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of our lineups and not to mention experts who have more tools and more time than you. You don't stand a chance. That's where Stat Hero comes in. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you 
their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup, and you name your stakes. Winner takes all. You have that advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. You are in total control. Stat Hero is DFS the way it was meant to be, one-on-one. Play Stat Hero now and change the odds. Go to stathero.com slash lockdown, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first cash play. They're giving away 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash lockdown right now, stathero.com slash lockdown. And, of course, we got another message from our friends over at Built Bar, which is the best protein bar on the market. And the reason why? Because they're not really protein bars, right? They're not gritty. They're not chalky like the other bars on the market. They're basically a candy bar that's jam-packed with protein. They've got so many amazing flavors that you can choose from. Coconut almond, raspberry, mint chocolate brownie, peanut butter brownie, my personal favorite, the coconut brownie chunk. You really can't go wrong with a single flavor on their menu. Every single bar that they offer is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein high fiber they are great if you're on a keto diet and you can check them out just go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15 percent off your very next order again that's promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at builtbar.com and we are rolling along here at locked on nba thursday that is tony east i am jackson gatlin and we've got a like just hodgepodge of NBA news to dive into. So which direction you want to go first, Tony? Well, I host Locked On Pacers, so I obviously want to go the the route first of least resistance for me, which is the one I just did a 45-minute show on. That is uh, the Pacers have finally let go of Nate Bjorker, and you just want me to rant for a second, and then you can, you can hop in? I mean, well, I want to tee it up first. We're, we're setting the stage. This is not the first <laughs> uh, coach that has been let go, so... Uh, Bjorken joins Terry Stotts and Steve Clifford as uh, coaches that have been let go. And then also uh, we've got Brad Stevens, who was not let go, but was promoted to the president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. So we have four uh, head coach openings across the NBA now, the Boston Celtics, the Indiana Pacers, the Orlando Magic, and the Portland Trailblazers. But yes, Tony, go ahead and rant for a moment about Nate Bjorkren and how are, I mean, what, like, the state of the Pacers, man. Like you, you look at they let they let Nate McMillan go, and now McMillan is thriving with the Atlanta Hawks. They tried Bjorkren, and we obviously had the meltdown, which this times out beautifully because the last time you and I were on this show together, uh, Bjorkren had just had his you know meltdown, uh, or it was not long after that, I believe. So, where are you at with this, and, and what should you know what should people be thinking about the Pacers moving forward based on this decision? Yeah, rant is the wrong word. It's the right decision for the team. And, of course, McMillan's going to get brought up. He Deservedly, he's been amazing for the Hawks this season. At the time, he was considered the right choice to move on from the Pacers because he was struggling to communicate with these guys. And now Nate Bjorkren had the same issues, which is certainly an interesting thing to look at for the players. You know, they're not communicating with two coaches in a row. But I think this was the right move for the Pacers. It's just one of those things that's hard to zoom out and truly analyze, right? Bjorkren failed to meet expectations on and off the court, and the off-court stuff was really bad to the point it got out to the national media and seeped into other areas of basketball, including the spat that we talked about last time we talked where a coach and a player are you know, going at it in the middle of a game. If you don't meet your – they hired him to be a good communicator, and he wasn't. They hired him to lead them farther in the playoffs. They didn't even make the playoffs. He just was not a good fit to coach this Pacers team. When you don't meet expectations on and off the court, you're going to get fired. So it's kind of a weird thing where, like, yeah, it's the right decision to fire him, but you hired him one year ago. So you kind of have to question the hiring process and question what the team is doing, what path they're on, and what, what their future could hold, while also giving them some credit for at least not holding on to the wrong coach for the team that they have. So 
what they do now is going to be interesting. I'm not really 100% sure what they're looking for in their next head coach, though certainly someone with more experience than they got with Bjorkren. But they moved on from a coach who didn't fit their team. It certainly makes their hiring process for their last coach, Bjorkren, seem a little suspect. But we'll see if they can rectify it going forward. Let me ask you this, Tony. You know, there were some very strong rumors about Mike D'Antoni being interested in the Indiana Pacers position uh, this past offseason before they hired Bjorkren. Do you think that's a direction that the team might be looking to go? D'Antoni currently obviously sitting as an assistant on the Brooklyn Nets bench alongside head coach Steve Nash, who he once coached in Phoenix. So there are obviously ties there, but Mike D'Antoni is a guy who doesn't strike me as somebody, you know, he, he's had such a storied career as an NBA head coach, and he was very much looking to get back into head coaching this past offseason before, you know, being passed over by a couple different organizations. Uh, the 76ers were one, the Indiana Pacers were one. Do you think this might be a chance for him to get back in the driver's seat of, of a team? Yeah, it's certainly possible. You know, like I said, the Pacers are definitely going to be looking more towards a veteran coach with experience. They've had problems with communications and just general play style over the last couple of years, whether that's offensively under McMillan or defensively under Bjorkren. So getting a vet coach in who's proven that he can both coach actual basketball in a good way and is a good communicator with players, which they've been lacking uh, with the last two coaches they've had or with, could communicate well with their current roster would be imperative. And Tony fits both of those things. He's pretty brilliant. You know, he got the Rockets to run this, perfect offense around James Harden. Obviously it's not, it's different when you have James Harden, you would know that better than anybody, but he did a great job in Houston. He's done a great job at various stops, basically ever about the Knicks. He's had a positive impact. So I think he'd be a great fit or someone else like him. Like some of the other coaches that just got let go stats could help them with their offense. He's a good communicator. Clifford's a great defensive coach and really emphasizes rebounding, right? A lot of these guys could be great. So as the coaching carousel continues to churn, the pace, you're going to be right in the middle of it. And our listeners have to go check you out over at Locked on Pacers to hear your your true in-depth rant and thoughts about the Bjorkren uh, firing over there. And then just to, to your point about James Harden, really quickly, uh, Adam Armbrecht of Locked on Nets and I actually signed an agreement that I'm not supposed to talk about James Harden unless I'm oh. being featured on Locked on Nets. So okay. um, I've got, you know, a... a James Jordan. Yeah, there we go. James Jordan. It's, it's a non-compete for me so that I don't uh, <laughs> steal his thunder from over at Locked on Nets. But... Next thing we've got, and this one's a bit of a, a silly one, and uh, I, I don't know how much stock to put into this, but LeBron changing his jersey? Was that the problem in this postseason run for the Lakers, that LeBron was wearing 23 and that he wasn't wearing his fabled number six jersey? I love that it's a Space Jam-related thing. That just makes it kind of cool. You know, the last time I covered a jersey number change in Indiana was Paul George going from 24 to being PG-13, right, which has like a dorky movie connotation to it, too. So apparently every jersey change is related to movies now. But, you know, I don't have a ton of insight on this. I, LeBron was cool when he was number six before. So good for him. I will say it, it does confirm now that uh, Devin Booker is going to walk away with the last game-worn LeBron James jersey number 23. Oh, wow. After, you know, giving it to him at the end of that that Phoenix Suns, uh, L.A. Lakers series. So that adds a little bit even more specialness to, you know, something a bit more uniqueness to that jersey uh, and how special it should mean to, you know, how much, uh, I guess, weight that it carries for Devin Booker to have that, you know, so hanging up somewhere in his house or wherever he's going to maybe just throws it in a drawer somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> now, our next thing, we, we've got. The, and this one, I, I really don't know how much this is going to impact the series moving forward, but DeAndre Hunter. Uh, you know, suffering a small tear of the lateral meniscus in his right knee and is going to receive season-ending surgery. 
I mean, I you know, I don't know how much stock we need to even place in this moving forward for the uh, for the Hawks 76er series, if only because he didn't play in either of the either of the first two games. And I know that there were some questions about him moving forward. But how, how do you view this, Tony? Yeah, I was kind of hoping he could come back for this series, right? He was really valuable against the Knicks. He played over 30 minutes a game for the Hawks team and started, I believe, in all yeah, in all five games for them. So he was a really valuable member of that team, and they already were without Reddish on the wing as well. And Kevin Herter has really stepped up for them and been excellent on the wing. I don't think Bogdan Bogdanovich has missed a three in like four months. So they're getting enough production from their wings anyway, but just to lose a really good defender and a guy who took a big leap this year, right? DeAndre Hunter went from a 12.3 point per game score as a rookie with a lot of inefficiencies to a 15 points per game guy who shot almost 50 percent from the field this season and is still a good defender so huge loss for the hawks although you're right that it's hard to say how much of an impact he would have had in their current series since he hadn't played in it yet but uh it's, you know they were they're already they got a nice win in philly so i guess you could say their outlook was a little rosy but i was going to say their outlook was already a little bleak and losing hunter certainly makes it worse and then the my question, though, about this is you think about the severity of the injury and the fact that Joel Embiid is playing through a similar injury right now. So I wonder, you know, what degrees there are to, you know, the level of a tear. I mean, I, that's that's what's got me kind of scratching my head a little bit. You've got Hunter who has to receive a season-ending surgery. Meanwhile, you've got Embiid who was reported to have essentially the same injury, and he's playing through it right now, which just is a testament to how well Embiid has played so far in this Hawks 76er series. The numbers that he's putting up, uh, you know, are ridiculous, and he's doing it through injury on one leg, basically. Yeah, I don't want to be a doctor for this segment because I don't know what I'm talking about, but I believe... No, you are, you are now Dr. East on Dr. this podcast. East, I apologize for Dr. making you Dr. East. Dr. East is going to get into semantics here because I believe... Joel Embiid's injury was listed as a partially torn meniscus, if that means anything here, whereas I think DeAndre Hunter had like a full tear, which requires surgery like immediately. So Embiid can play through it so long as it doesn't tear all the way through and he can deal with the pain, and he looked awesome in game two. So certainly he can play through the pain so far, but I think that's the difference or it's not a full tear. That said, again, Dr. Tony does not really know what he's talking about. Just reading through a semantical one word. That is why Embiid is playing. But again, with Hunter, we'll see. It's a big loss for the Hawks. And if Embiid ever suffers the same fate, the Sixers will be in a lot of trouble as well. Coming up, we're going to tell you about uh, our thoughts on the next night of NBA playoff action coming up. The Nets, Bucks, Jazz, Clippers talk about the uh, reigning DPOY, the newly crowned DPOY of the NBA. But first, a message from our friends over at Lucy.co. Yeah, Lucy Nicotine, a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and clear nicotine alternative is here finally tobacco-free alternatives that don't suck. Researched and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients, Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate, while also creating a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, cherry, ice, citrus, and mint. Lucy lozenges and gums are FSA and HSA eligible, so you can use your FSA cards to purchase Lucy now. It's convenient and discreet. Those products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, on the go, or even at the gym. So it's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug the vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple. You don't have to leave your house. And again, FSA and HSA eligible. So you can spend pre-tax dollars on them. Locked on NBA Network listeners, go to lucy.co and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA, all one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-O-N-N-B-A, to get 20% off all products 
on your first order, including gum and lozenges. Lucy.co, promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Also, I have to give you this disclaimer. This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Lucy.co, and be sure to use that promo code LOCKEDONNBA. And we are here at our final segment for Locked On NBA Thursday. Let's talk about the Utah Jazz and the LA Clippers and the newly crowned Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, who, I mean, what can we say about Rudy Gobert? He's had, has he had one of the greatest defensive seasons in NBA history? Um, yeah, I read that was a great piece by, I think, I think it was Ben Dasset in uh, 538 about, how impactful Rudy Gobert's been on defense this season. And all the numbers basically suggest that in like the tracking era of the NBA, it's the best defensive season ever, right? The Jazz have been phenomenal and he's on the court. They have been for a while. It's his third defensive player of the year in four years, I think, or five years. Third in a very short amount of time. So he's clearly mastered his craft and gets better every year. He's still only 28, so it's still time to gain IQ about the game. Gain a little bit of speed, though that might peak here soon, but... He continues to get better and better, and he was just absolutely phenomenal this season for the Jazz, uh, especially in that end of the floor. Worthy defensive player of the year candidate. I think he had over 80 of the first-place votes, so really impressive stuff from him. And, yeah, it might have been the best defensive season ever, or one of. So credit to Rudy Gobert. And then not only that, he obviously had the, uh, we can't call it game-winning, game-saving block, uh, you know, against the Clippers in the very first game of what is sure to be a very exciting series between the Jazz and Clippers. And I know that we're already one game into it, Tony, and so it's a little bit unfair to drop a prediction at this point. But hey, we weren't on the show to drop a prediction before this point, so now we've got to do it here. Which way are you leaning in this series between Jazz Clippers? That block by Rudy was phenomenal. Marcus Morris had nowhere to go. I mean, it's just an inc- incredible last defensive possession. The Clippers had over 10 seconds, and the Jazz cut off every option. So really awesome last possession there from Utah. And I, I love this series. It's one of my favorite ones. It, you know, we're going to talk about the other series in a minute, but everybody was talking about Nets-Bucks potentially being this finals preview, mate, or like the best series that isn't going to be the finals. I think that could be Jazz Clippers. These two teams are awesome. Kawhi was amazing in the first series. Playoff P showed up in the first game, but he's had a really nice playoffs outside of of two games, I would say, game one of this series. And I think it was game four? Oh, no, it was was at home. So game five of last series. So he um, has had an you know, he can be better than he was in that game. Kawhi can be better. And they still were in it for a lot of the game. You know, the Jazz missed a bunch of threes in the first half, but still. So I think either team can win any game in this series. So it's going to be awesome to see uh, and how Rudy Gobert responds to his award and how the, the this next game shakes out. It's going to be phenomenal. But Tony, I want your official prediction. I, prediction? Have, I have Jazz in six. I'm putting Jazz in six. That's my prediction. I, I think I picked Clippers in seven originally. Uh, and I think I'll stick with that. The first game was really close despite bad performances from the Stars, though I totally get the Jazz thinking, oh, my gosh, Luke Kennard's not going to shoot however amazing he did in game one. So, the, the, you know, they'll come down a little bit. But I think the Stars improving will neuter that, and they can improve on defense just enough, slowing down Mitchell and some other guys that I think the Clippers will still get this one in seven, though I totally understand how the Jazz can win the series, and they're the best team in the regular season for a reason. So if they win in, if they win in six, I will think you're a smart guy. 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm a little bit insulted. You don't think I'm a smart guy already before this happens, but you know what? I'll, I'll take finally it. finally think you're a smart guy, Jack. Wow. God, it's hard, tough audience here. Um, and it's just a quick shout out to Donovan Mitchell, who, you know, his heroics in the second half of game one is what, you know, propelled the Jazz to that win in the first place. And, you know, he... I, he doesn't have to, you know, He, I don't think he's going to need to be Superman the rest of the way throughout the series for them to have a chance to win. I think they had a really tough first half, but, you know, the Jazz were uh, one of, if not the most dominant team throughout the NBA regular season for a reason, and I think we're going to see that play out over the course of this series. But the other series that we got to talk about here for just a split second, which I, I think that, you know, coming into the series, we found out, you know, what, first play, game one, James Harden, you know, re-aggravates his hamstring. And yet the Nets have not skipped a beat. They look utterly dominant. And this is, is this one of those weird situations where, okay, star goes down. Yes, they're star studded. They've got Kyrie and Katie. So it's not like they're lacking for talent in the absence of James Harden, but it really has felt like the team just took it in stride and they've gone from maybe being, you know, an all time offensive team to just being a really elite offensive team, which is like you're still taking a step down, but they, they've looked really, really great through the first two games of the series. And you wonder, you know, is this going to be, I don't want to say, is it going to be a sweep of the Bucks, but Very they possible. look outclassed. Yeah, Kevin Durant's in best player on the planet mode. That's a big reason they're up to. I mean, he, you just can't guard him. Like there, there, there are shots he makes that are un, literally unguardable. No matter who you put, you, you could put Megatron on him. He's going to find a way to put that ball in the basket. So, Kevin Durant is in unguardable mode. That's one reason they've been so good. Kyrie Irving also playing phenomenal. Not quite unguardable Kyrie mode, but, you know, very, very good. But I think the stat I saw is the the Nets as a team so far in the playoffs are 50-40-90 as a team, right? And so obviously those two, those two stars that are healthy have been really good, but everybody has to shoot well to reach those thresholds, especially the free throws, right? So they've been nailing these threes off the passes from their stars, the guys who get fouled, whether it's the stars or not stars, are hitting their free throws. Their two-point shots are efficient, and the floor has really opened up for them because they're running like we a guy we mentioned earlier. D'Antonium certainly has his fingerprints all over that offense and has them running great sets. The Bucks look confounded and spread out, whereas the Nets are really packing it in against the Bucks. So, yeah, the Nets look Phenomenal, even without Harden. Full credit to them and their role players for just making everything. And I, I think, you know, it's kind of one of those preconceived notions where as soon as the Nets uh, super team was formed, everybody had them pegged as the, uh, the the team emerging from the Eastern Conference. And the way that they've played in these couple games without James Harden and without Jeff Green, who was a key contributor for yeah. this team because he provides yeah. something unique at that five spot where he can, you know, he can roll, he can facilitate, he can pass. There's, there's too many things that he does at the five spot that are unique to this Nets team. So he's been, I don't want to say sorely missed because they're obviously doing just fine without him, but he's another key cog in the Nets machine that when they get him back, uh, which they won't have James Harden or Jeff Green back for game three, but if they're able to just continue to stomp down the Milwaukee Bucks in the series and earn some, you know, much needed rest time, potentially maybe the 76ers Hawks series goes a little bit longer, uh, you know, six, maybe a seven game series there, potentially, depending on if there's more uh, lightning in the bottle for the Atlanta Hawks against the 76ers. Uh, you know, it gives Harden and Green more time to rest, recuperate and get back 
to a place where they can rejoin the team. And the team is so talented that they can just rejoin without skipping a beat. It's almost plug and play. You throw them back in and we've seen how seamless that that fit is with James Harden alongside his two co-stars and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. He just steps in and he's not the James Harden that has to dominate anymore as he was for the better part of the last decade in Houston. He doesn't have to go out there and be that guy every game. He just gets to slot in, be the facilitator, quarterback in the offense, and it's really, you know, how do you stop that if you're going up against the Nets? Uh, you, you don't. It has been the answer so far. You kind of just don't. Yeah, it, it's crazy that James Harden can be plug and play for them. They, they, it's just, just kind of unfair. And, like, even if he's, like, 80% healthy, he's just, oh, here's the best decoy ever. Like, James Harden's in the corner. If you sag off too much, those are the three. So, yeah, the, the extra rest would help them a ton, obviously. You know, the, this season's been crazy for them. And Embiid's hurt, too, but – they're really rooting for that other series to go along so they can get as much rest as possible. And closing out the Bucks fast will help them. So big incentive for them here. And obviously for the Bucks, who we scarcely talked about, deservedly, they've played terrible. It's it's kind of hard to talk about their performance so far. They got to find a way to win. They, they, they looked really good against the Heat. They got over some demons from last year. But, you know, Drew Holiday's offense has kind of deteriorated this series. Chris Middleton got hot at the in the second game, but in general has looked a little sloppy. Giannis was pretty rough in game two and their role players unlike the nets are not making their shots right so they need to find a way to space the floor out a little more get their guys going to the basket they have not been shooting at the rim and and get some more efficient shots because they've looked really terrible in brooklyn we talked about the coaches uh earlier and the the departures that we've seen so far i mean if if the bucks go out in you know five or even maybe even even in six games to the brooklyn nets and we're talking the nets potentially without james harden right so not the true blue super team nets but the the slightly maybe more mortal brooklyn nets i mean coach bud has to be on the hot seat right absolutely i think that was reported before the season that they had aspirations to get far and they might not keep him if not so yeah if they if, especially if they continue to get embarrassed like this like even if if you lose in five and you and you lose by 20 multiple times and just happen to win one, yeah, your coach is definitely on the hot seat. The Indianapolis Star already reporting that the Pacers would have interest in Budenholzer if he is let go by the Bucks. So maybe the scuttlebutt around the league is already churning that you know maybe he does not survive this series if the Bucks don't do well and they have not been doing well so far. So I I certainly agree with that assessment too that they should move on from him if he if he can't get him even a win or even a, a competitive second round series with the MVP and another All Star on that team, uh, maybe he's not the right coach for the Bucks. Well, that just about covers it for all of our news today. Quick reminder that you can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. You can follow Tony on Twitter at T East NBA. And of course, you want to follow the Locked On NBA account at Locked On NBA Pods. But Tony, appreciate you hanging out today for this show. It's been awesome, man. I had a good time, and I'm changing my last name to West in the spirit of LeBron changing his number. So good way to end the show today. All right, well, go change your Twitter handle, too, so you can be <laughs> T West NBA. All right. Um, but that's going to do it for another episode of Locked on NBA. Don't forget to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on the new Odyssey app. Drop some stars, leave a review, and share the show with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at the Locked on NBA podcast. <laughs>